Thank you all for coming. My name is Steve Braga. I'm the director of the clinical programs here at the law school, which I supervise in a general kind of way. Uh, I'm also the director of the appellate litigation clinic, which I run with a very stern dictatorial hand. Um, uh, both of them successfully are going well with those two different management style approaches. First of all, I want to welcome you to one of our two moot courtrooms. Uh, you undoubtedly noticed, or you will notice when you go to other sessions, that this is a very different look than the usual classroom, which is auditorium style uh, with blackboards and things. Uh, we have two of these moot courtrooms, this one and one right next door, that the students in the clinics and the students in other experiential learning programs get to use to try to experience what it's like to be in a courtroom. The clinics are the foundation of the experiential learning program. Experiential learning just means, of course, learning by experience, learning by doing. So much of your law school study will be academic learning, reading materials, lectures, classroom discussion, outside classroom analysis. Uh, in the clinics, though, you get a chance to really do hands-on uh, practice of law uh, under the supervision of people like me who uh, I am so old, I have many, many years of experience that uh, hopefully I can help you get it right. This classroom, this moot courtroom, we actually have been using for the past six weeks in my appellate litigation clinic. Uh, for students to get ready for an argument we had in Cincinnati yesterday. So yesterday morning at this very time, 10:15, uh, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, in one of the most beautiful courtrooms you've ever seen, letting two of my appellate litigation clinic students argue before the second highest level of the federal judiciary, the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, which sits in Cincinnati. And I'm going to use the, the appellate litigation clinic as a little model of how clinics work generally and then tell you about all the other clinics we have here as well. So we were in Cincinnati yesterday. Two students, two third-year students, got to argue before three um, federal circuit judges. Did a great job. I think we may win some relief for our client. Uh, a month earlier, we were uh, two different students in Philadelphia, where those students got to argue before the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. And next week, I have two different students who are going to argue before the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, which is based in Richmond. You'll notice a, a theme here that the clinic is directed toward the United States Court of Appeals, the, the second highest level of the federal judiciary, for a reason. Uh, it gets us a chance to go around the country, experience different settings, different judges, uh, different um, types of issues that broaden the experience for the students. When I inherited this clinic uh, back in 2013, I wanted to make it look like it might be a practice model for most of the students who come through the law school. Most of them tend to go to places where they'll have a, a national or an international practice. I didn't want the clinic to be limited just to the Fourth Circuit in Richmond because that provides sort of a, a distorted view of the entire system. And so I have a map on the wall in my office where I'm trying to get to all 11 federal circuits before I retire. I'm not near retirement anytime soon which is good because I have a couple of circuits that are going to be hard to get to. I've, uh, I've got a case pending in New Orleans in the Fifth Circuit right now, which I'm really desperately trying to get argued in Mardi Gras time, but the court's not <laughs> cooperating with me. Uh, and then um, I, I have to get to the Ninth Circuit, which is far away. The Ninth Circuit is California and the, and the West Coast, but also includes Hawaii. So I'm thinking maybe some set of future clinic students will get to go to Hawaii. That may sound like a, a, a dream, but in December, two students and I spent four days in St. Croix arguing an appeal. So you never know. Sometimes dreams happen. <laughs> the um, 
clinical program here is very, very varied. We have at times as many as 19 clinics. We don't offer all of them uh, in every year. Some of them come and go. But they really are designed to do two things, and they might do a third thing for you. The, the two things they're designed to do are to help clients. When you take on the representation of a client, even as a law student, the client under your professional responsibility obligations becomes your number one concern. How do I protect my client? How do I help my client? So in all of our clinics, the supervisors, myself and the appellate litigation clinic, are actually appointed by the courts to represent a particular client. Then the students come in under the student practice rules uh, to be able to work with me and under my supervision actually appear in court and make the arguments. Really, really cool. They're, so I have been a, a practitioner for 37 years. I told you I was really old. Um, there are many, many lawyer friends of mine in Washington who have never had the chance to argue before a federal circuit court. And out of this year's clinic of 12 students, I think all of them will have had the chance to do that before they leave law school. I've got my, still got to get my fingers crossed for the two last ones to get to argue, but, uh, but I think that will happen. And it's really a, a great experience because it builds your confidence. You're helping a client. We're also helping the courts. The courts appoint us to represent these clients because the courts have decided there might be an issue here. This person might have a real uh, claim, but they're pro se. They can't afford a lawyer, so we'll appoint a clinic uh, and let them represent them. And so we're helping the clients. We're helping the courts. We're helping law students and future law students um, to learn how to really practice hands-on on the ground. Uh, wonderful, wonderful benefits. It's, it's also a, I, I could say this if you promise not to tell any of the academic faculty members, kind of a nice break from the classroom learning thing, you know, something different to do. Uh, we have clinics that come in all sizes, shapes. You can take them, some of them second year, some of them you have to wait till third year because you can't get the prerequisites until you've gone through second year. Some of them are year long, some of them are semester long. Some of them are ideologically driven. Uh, for example, our immigration law clinic is designed to help people the government is trying to get out of the country. We don't intervene on the government side. So if you want to be an ICE person, you don't want to take that clinic. Um, but some of our clinics aren't ideologically driven. My appellate litigation clinic uh, it has nothing to do with ideology. It's just What's a good appeal that would be a good learning device for the students to write an opening brief, get the response brief, analyze it, write the reply brief, and then get prepared and go to argue the case before one of the circuit courts of appeals. Um, even if the clinic might be ideologically oriented, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take it if you're not similarly ideologically oriented. So the, the benefit of the clinic is not just to do something you might want to do, help people suffering from immigration problems, in my example. Um, it's also to learn skills. And in all of the clinics, there are sort of skills that cut across all lines of practice. Interviewing clients, researching and preparing effective pleadings to be filed on behalf of those clients, either in courts or administrative hearings. Dealing with difficulties, explaining to clients, OK, we won this round, we lost this round. Uh, how to use translators, uh, things that can spread across all lines of practice. So if you look at the clinics and you don't find anyone that says, oh, man, I've always wanted to be an international human rights lawyer helping the people in Chechnya, um, that's okay. You still think about taking the clinics just for the practical experience you can learn. So we, we help the clients. 
we help the students uh, with skills, but the clinics also just might help you decide what you want to do. Uh, they might change your life. My clinical experience uh, back in the dark ages at Georgetown when we had to walk to school and study by candlelight, I took a, I knew I wanted to be a, a, do criminal practice. From my first two years in law school, I thought, oh, this criminal law stuff is pretty interesting. The Constitution is always in the background. Fourth Amendment rights, Fifth Amendment rights, Sixth Amendment rights. I want to be in a courtroom like this. I want to be walking around and stalking, you know, pointing my finger at witnesses, you know, lecturing the jurors, how wonderful you are. Please, please, please don't send my client to jail. Um, but I didn't know whether I wanted to be a defense lawyer or a prosecutor. Um, so I took a clinic at Georgetown that let me do the, the equivalent of our criminal defense clinic here. We also have a prosecution clinic here. But at Georgetown, they were both in one clinic, and one semester I did prosecution, the first one. And the second semester I did uh, criminal defense work. And it became so uh, clear to me, it was a, uh, an epiphany that I was a criminal defense lawyer. That born, bred, genetic, whatever defects, you know, led me to this point. I was somebody who was trying to keep people out of jail, not put them in jail. It just, it just, it just felt better. In the prosecution clinic, we prosecuted misdemeanor cases in the Superior Court in the District of Columbia at that time, 1981. They were largely, okay, let's prosecute another African-American teenager for having marijuana in his pocket on the corner of 14th and U Street. Wow, that's pretty hard to do, right? The police arrested him, he had marijuana in his pocket, let's prosecute him. It didn't seem to have the challenge that I wanted, and it seemed, the results seemed to be unfair, as I said, given my genetic defect toward uh, avoiding putting prison in, people in jail, people in prison. But on the defense side, wow, you've got that same African-American young man, and now you're defending him, and the prosecutor doesn't know that it wasn't his marijuana. He either picked it up just off the street or a friend gave it to him, and, or he might not even have known it was in his pocket. He put on someone else's pair of pants, or you know, he had an alibi defense, and all these creative things became possibilities. And you're armed with the reasonable doubt standard. All I have to do is create one little doubt, and I can save this person from going to jail. And it seemed much more challenging, which it is, of course. Um, but it was also much more fun. And so it, it literally changed my life. I've been a criminal defense lawyer ever since, uh, usually uh, practicing in white-collar criminal defense, which I also teach here, a course in white-collar criminal defense. Uh, being based in Washington for 33 years, I learned a lot about white-collar criminal defense in the political corruption context. And it's still going on today, so it's easy to teach. Just uh, who's ever in the White House, who's ever in Congress, every four years it turns around. It's, uh, it's fun stuff to learn as well. So let me tell you a little bit about the types of clinics we have. I told you about the Appellate Litigation Clinic. There are four clinics that are in-house. That means we have full-time faculty in here, in the building. You can, in the, if you're in the Appellate Litigation Clinic or if you want to be in the Appellate Litigation Clinic, you can come to my office right over here anytime, walk in, doors always open, talk about your cases, talk about your prospects, talk about the world. Also in-house, we have the Supreme Court Litigation Clinic. There's a session later today, I think, by Professor Dan Ortiz. It's probably our most high-profile clinic in that it does the, the most rigorous academic legal work at the Supreme Court level. They've had two arguments this year, which is phenomenal. Um, unfortunately, the students don't get an opportunity to argue in that clinic. The Supreme Court has decided that they don't need to hear from law students, uh, so unlike the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. But you do get to do all the briefing, all the analysis, all the work, and then go to the arguments and watch a professor or one of the leaders of the clinic argue it. Really, really a great experience. 
Also in-house, we have uh, the Innocence Project Clinic. Um, I know there's a session, again, later today, uh, either given by Deirdre Enright or Jennifer Givens, the two faculty members who run the Innocence Project Clinic. You probably know all about the work of the Innocence Project, right? Um, wrongful convictions, uh, DNA acquittals, uh, things like that. They do it right here in-house. They, they are actually sort of the rock stars of the clinical program right now, despite you know the, the fascination of my clinic going to St. Croix. People seem to think it's more compelling that their Innocence Project Clinic was featured on Serial's podcast uh, for some reason. I don't even know what a podcast is, but apparently it's a big deal. And, and um, they've got great work, great people. We also have in-house an environmental clinic. Uh, there's probably a session on environmental law as well today. It, for those of you who want to save the, save the planet, you know, it deals with things like, you know, what can we do from a litigation perspective with respect to forests, trees, climate change, things like that. Uh, obviously very, very important issues. Those are our in-house clinics. Outside, we, we have an alignment with uh, an entity in town called the Legal Aid Justice Center, which is absolutely one of the best legal aid shops in the country. And they help us, they teach as adjuncts and run clinics in child advocacy, obviously what that's about, consumer law, employment law, health law, immigration law, and litigation and housing. So all those different subject matters are things you could take a clinic in. In addition to what the LAJC offers, we have other adjuncts uh, not associated with the Legal Aid Center. People will who we've hired over the years to teach different subject matters. And we have a criminal defense clinic, a prosecution clinic, international human rights clinic. So this, this is gonna be really exciting starting next year. We've just hired a new, or just offered a new person to run this clinic. His name is Camilo Sanchez. He's from Bogota, Colombia. He's been engaged in the human rights world for 20, 30 years doing incredible work I was lucky to be on the search committee that, that recommended we hire Camilo. I want to take this clinic. This guy is so engaging and vibrant and his stories and he talks about being in the jungles of Bogota trying to negotiate a peace agreement with the FARC and then over here trying to help these people in Honduras. I mean, he's, he is the human rights paradigm from the standpoint of activists. Again, not from the standpoint of governments opposing them. It's one of these clinics that does have an ideological bent to it. Uh, we also have a nonprofit clinic, helps NGOs make sure they're up to speed, all their documents are in order, new documents they should have, transactional clinic, so that, that clinic doesn't go to court. It helps real clients do real work to make sure they're in ship shape with all their tax filings and everything so they can keep doing the good work they do as an NGO. We have a patent and licensing clinic, which is also not a court clinic, but teaches people, students who are interested in patent law, intellectual property law, how to actually dig into the details of preparing a patent application, making sure it's bulletproof and the intellectual property work is protected. And one of our most popular clinics is something called the Entrepreneurial Law Clinic. This is uh, your generation, tech startups. Okay, we are associated with the Darden Business School, which is across the road over here. Darden gives grants to new companies, startups every year as, as part of a competition. Once they get the award that they've won that competition, they get into the entrepreneurial law clinic and the clinicians work with uh, established people in the fields of venture capital, tech startups. How do we take this company that won a competition from an idea 
to being a real company starting out? How do we do this? How do you know, think of Silicon Valley venture capital financing only in the little Silicon Valley that is Charlottesville, which does have a very, very interesting high-tech uh, uh, atmosphere. And we're always working on the clinics, trying to improve them, sometimes in response to what the faculty thinks, sometimes in response to what the students think. So it's very important to me as, as the director of the clinics to hear from students every year, and I reach out to them, what clinical experience, good or bad, what was working in that clinic, what wasn't working, what would you like to see? Uh, this year we had a, so the entrepreneurial law clinic is only in the spring right now. This year I got a 20-page proposal from one of the entrepreneurial law clinic students on why and how the clinic should be expanded to include the fall. Uh, just on his own, decided he loved the clinic so much that future students, like maybe you, should have the opportunity to do this tech startup work all year long. Amazing to see a student uh, take that degree of interest in the clinic. We haven't decided what to do about his proposal yet or not. There are some glitches in trying to make it all year long. But we're seriously considering it under the leadership of the new dean, who is very, very experiential, learning, committed. Uh, and I think that's going to really be great for the future of the clinics in particular going forward. We also have, starting in January of next year, for the first time, a civil rights clinic that we'll be doing. Um, seems to be a good time to have uh, people ready to litigate civil rights issues uh, around the country, and we'll be starting that. So I want to save you some time for questions. L let me just sort of tell you one little anecdote. Um, you, some of you may be you know, committed to being a clinic person. When I went to Georgetown, that's why I went to Georgetown. They had the best clinics in the country. We now call Georgetown the UVA of the North. Um, but when I went there, they had the best clinics in the country, and I wanted to do the clinics, and so I did clinics second and third year, made my law school experience uh, very different than it might otherwise have been. Some of you may be that committed, some of you may not be, some of you might want to dabble in one or, or not dabble at all. Um, please explore them. Um, the, the opportunities, I said, are, are experience, helping clients, uh, but you can really do something amazing, too. So we had, two years ago, a combination effort, and the clinics work together when they, when they can. Where the immigration clinic had lost an asylum case for a young man named Jose Ortega Oliva, who was about to be deported back to Honduras, where he believed he was about to be executed by MS-13, the notorious gang you've heard about. Because he had been a gang member in Honduras, he quit the gang, uh, fled to the United States to get away from the gang, um, but the immigration authorities, he came in undocumented, the immigration authorities uh, entertained his asylum application. Once he was here, he filed for asylum and rejected it and said that the, I believe the phrase was, uh, classic bureaucrat speak. Now this, this young man thinks he's going to be executed by MS-13, which we all know is quite a real threat. The immigration authorities denied his appeal, saying the mere fear of potentially being executed is not enough to let you stay in this country. Um, as a couple of expletives I could use to describe my feelings about that, but I won't do that on camera. Um, the immigration appeals can be taken to the Fourth Circuit, so the immigration clinic, which usually handles these things at the ICE level, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, wanted to go to the Fourth Circuit, but they didn't have the skills to do it. My clinic students wanted to do the appeal, but we didn't have the immigration knowledge, so we married together with the immigration clinic took the appeal to the Fourth Circuit. 
uh, three young women, one from the immigration clinic and two from my clinic, Rachel and Kelsey, put together a phenomenal set of briefs. Uh, nobody thought this case had a chance, uh, and they won. But this guy got to stay in the United States, and Rachel and Kelsey, you know, have said to me afterwards, this was like the most meaningful moment, not in my law school career, in my life. Now, I hope they have more meaningful moments later, but maybe they won't. I mean, they've actually saved somebody's life. That's the kind of thing that can happen in a clinical experience, too. You get not only every now and then the sunshine of being in St. Croix and seeing the sunset on a law school paid clinical endeavor for four days in the middle of December. That was pretty good, I gotta say, pretty good. Um, but the smile you can see on these clinic clients' faces uh, when you help them is, is just as bright as those, uh, those sunsets. So come, come, uh, help us. I need your help. I hope you come to law school here. But more importantly, if you do come to law school here, I hope you will check out the clinics and help me. We've, we're trying to help the world, maybe change the world, but certainly help the world in little pieces, one client at a time. So what can I tell you? What questions do any of you have? Yeah, over there. Um, for some of the participating students you've spoken to, how often do the clinical experiences come up in job interviews? I think they come up all the time. Um, I don't know whether you're asking whether they come up in a negative way or a positive way. They, they, come, up, they come up both, frankly mostly in a positive way. So mostly when, when students are, are talking to, let's say, a government agency, well, I want to work at the Department of Justice, I want to get into the honors program. Oh, by the way, I argued a case before the Fourth Circuit and the person interviewing them has never done that. That's a good thing. Um, sometimes there are, there are some hires that say, well, if you're in a clinic that's ideologically committed, like you're in the Immigration Clinic or the Innocence Project Clinic, and now you want to be a prosecutor, are you, do you really have the right prosecutorial mindset or are you so far ideologically committed that your innocence project work means you never could impose the death penalty on somebody? So sometimes it leads to some questions. Usually it's not um, the kind of thing which terminates the interview. You know, you once did an innocence project clinic, therefore you could never work for the Department of Justice. That would be silly. But, but it does raise some questions sometimes, but most often, it comes up in a very positive way. And uh, big law firm um, interviewers in particular love to see students who come to be associates with experience. You've written a brief. Oh, wow, okay, so you're, you're ahead of the learning curve. You've given an argument. Okay, good. So it, it, I think it comes up a lot, and I'd say most of the time positive, but, but the negative way it comes up is only a little bit of a negative that you can, unless you really are just you know, a bomb-throwing, anti-death penalty person and therefore should never go work at the Department of Justice. Yeah? Uh, how often or how many clinics do people do? So there's a limit on how many you can take. Uh, the ABA and the uh, standards will not let you take more than, I think it's 16 credits of clinical work. Uh, that's a lot. So my appellate litigation clinic, the Supreme Court litigation clinic, the Innocence Project clinic is only eight credits runs all whole year. Um, so that would leave you eight others for second year or, or dabbling around with. But you can't just come and take all clinics and, and you know, uh, by, bypass all the other courses you want to bypass, like, oh, federal tax. I don't know. Yeah. Um, how do you determine which students work in which classes? Is it a process? Great question. So, so th there's a, two ways. Some of the clinics uh, are by application, the Supreme Court Clinic, the Innocence Project Clinic, 
the environmental clinic are all by application. You've got to, you've got to submit a resume and explain why you want to be in that clinic and you'll be interviewed uh, and they'll decide whether to let you in or not. Other clinics like mine uh, just go by the course lottery system. So I decided that everybody who comes to UVA Law School is absolutely smart enough to write a brief, make an argument under my supervision, so therefore I don't need to screen for quality. Everybody here is talented enough. It's not my business to screen for personality. I love everybody. Um, and it's also not my business to tell people who spend $60,000 to come to law school here a year that you can't take my clinic because, you know, I decided you don't get in it. So I just leave it up to the course lottery system. So, so people who want to do the appellate litigation clinic know to mark that they're number one choice for third year. And they know that there's only 12 getting in, although we may, ex we may expand it to 14. Um, so it's got to be marked first. And then it's a little bit of a roll of the dice, although I, I th only one, one person has ever come to me to complain and say, you know, I, it was really a sob story. I came to UVA just to take this clinic, and I'm number one on the waiting list, and, you know, I can't get in, and so I just expanded the class by one and, and let her in. So it, w there are ways to try to make it work. I can't take 100 people in my clinic because uh, I just can't supervise that many. But um, part of it is lottery, part of it is application. And that's all well documented on the websites, which ones require application and when they have to be in and things like that. Any other questions? Yes. If there's a particular uh, case or project that you're working on while you're in the clinic, um, as a 2L maybe, is there any opportunity to extend your work as a 3L the next year if it's something that you really care about doing? Yeah, great question. So, so there's two ways that can be done. Uh, you, part of the limitation on the number of credits you can take for clinics is you can't take the same clinic twice. Right? It'd be great if you could take the same clinic twice because it'd be pretty easy the second time around. You'd probably get an A, right? Um, but we have something called advanced topics. And so if you started a particular project in one clinic year and then you're back for your 3L year and you want to finish that case, I, I can make a special, special clinical position called advanced topics two for that clinic and let you work on that case. So the, the case I mentioned a, a moment ago about Jose Ortega Oliva, where the immigration clinic and the appellate litigation clinic worked together, that was such a situation. The, the woman from the immigration clinic had done the case in her 2L year when it was lost at ICE and then wanted to work on it with us on the, on the Fourth Circuit, so we just gave her a special one-credit topics. That's from the, if you want to do it and get credit. If you want to do it just as a volunteer because, you know, the client is compelling and you want to save this you know, this family or whatever, um, you can always do it as a pro bono matter. Absolutely. Always stay involved. No, nobody, no clinic director would turn you away from that. Any other questions? Ma'am. Is the immigration clinic offered every year? Immigration clinic is offered every year, yes. And, and I think we may, we're in, we're in the process of searching for a new director for that. It may or may not happen next year. It might be a little bit longer, but um, the, the dean is very committed to making sure that the international human rights and the immigration clinics are very vibrant. Uh, it's a cause she's committed to.